If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Hey, before we get started today, I want to remind you that if you want more out of your life, there is another way. Whether you're lacking momentum in your business, you don't have a supportive environment, or you're tired of not living in your gifts and finally want to live a life that excites you, we can help. All you have to do is get on a call with somebody on my team that's going to rock your world by going to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, we are there to help you rock your money and your life. So what are you waiting for? Go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and let's get started today. Hey, welcome to another session of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. I have a really special guest. Sean Castrina is a successful business coach. He's a true serial entrepreneur having started more than 20 successful companies over the last 25 years. He's also a best-selling author of The Greatest Entrepreneur in the World, Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success, and The World's Greatest Business Plan, which, by the way, a lot of people don't even do a plan, so this would be a pretty good tool to have. Sean has contributed to some of the most recognized media outlets, including Forbes, Inc., Yahoo Finance, and MSNBC, as well as a guest lecture at America's Finest Colleges. He is also the host of one of iTunes' most listened to business podcasts, The 10-Minute Entrepreneur. Let's go to my conversation with Sean. So welcome to the podcast, Sean. Hey, it's great to be here. So from one fellow podcaster to another, and such a beautiful story you have, let's start at the story part, you know, where you grew up and how it led you to where you are today. Yeah, um, you know, I grew up in a in a below middle class home is an understatement uh, with a, quite a bit of dysfunction but was a really good high school athlete and ended up being a high school state champion in wrestling and so I got a division one scholarship to college and I kind of is you know if you picture an entrepreneur being you know being an athlete specifically a wrestler is is a really good background for anything competitive and, and business is a contact sport so you know that kind of prepared me for kind of where I am today, you know, as an entrepreneur. So that that's kind of the genesis of, of how my story gets started. And then I became mm-hmm. an entrepreneur because I lost my dream job very early on and realized I, I was never going to work for anybody as a dependent. Like I knew that if I worked for them, it would be short term just while I got a business, something started. So let's unpack that a little bit. What did you learn being an athlete that translated into you being a good business person? Yeah, well, for one is is that like for wrestling, just for an example, is is that it's one on one. You can't blame anybody. So there's right. no time. There's no timeouts. There's no tagging off to another partner. Um, it's just you mm-hmm. against them. So there, there's no excuses. Number two is is that there's a lot of little things that you can do to to move the odds into your favor to win. And you know, like you can be in let's just say two athletes are of the same ability for conversation's sake, which yeah. can happen in business. But what do, you, what do you do extra? Well, I ran five miles a day. So that was something I chose to do that I'm assuming most of my opponents didn't. So when they got tired, their talent level dropped 
Mine stayed the same. I lifted weights. I trained all the time. I, you know, doing all the little things. And I think that applies in business and in success. I mean, successful people do what unsuccessful people make excuses and don't do, period. So I think there's a quote that fits that. You don't rise to the level of your expectation or wishes, but rather to the level of your preparedness or training. I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I as a general rule, great successful athletes in their mind at least believe they are outworking their competition every day at least they're trying to and they may find out that they're not and and you know such is life but but they're definitely if they're really good doing everything they can to make that happen do you subscribe also to incremental progress acknowledging the tiny little one percents that you do better because a lot of people downplay that i'm a micro habits person so I'm, i'm huge on that so i think you know as a general rule you you if you want to have a, if you have a big goal, it has to correlate to daily habits to any goal, any goal that I have, this is, let me frame this in a better way. I don't like goals that are dependent on other people. They're kind of dreams. Like I have things that I would like to have happen, but I don't have total control over it. Somebody would have to introduce me to somebody or something big would have to happen. Some monumental steps. But most of my goals I have control over. If I set goals, I want there to be something that I can do daily or weekly to make that goal happen. And typically that starts with micro habits. Like, you know, I I took a blood test and my doctor's like, Sean, you're in great physical shape, but you don't drink enough water. All right. Well, I a, a day ago, I didn't drink eight ounces of water a day. You know, I never paid attention to it. But he's like, Sean, I'd like you to drink 80. Well, I'm not going to start with 80. I'll, you know, it's not. So I'll, I have a water bottle now, 16 ounces. Okay, I'm gonna, for the first week, I'm going to drink that every day. And the next week, I'll add a second one. And, and four and a half weeks into this, I'll be up to whatever he wants me to. But I think if I started it right now, I wouldn't stick with it. So you've gone on to become, well, virtually a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about that journey. Yeah. So once I was let go of kind of my dream job, there was a leadership change and, you know, I was wrapping up a master's degree and, and kind of had my life, you know, right there dead in front of me. And then you kind of get called in and you realize there's a leadership change and you're not going to be a part of the future. Um, what was that, that dream job? Yeah, I was working for a nonprofit outside of Washington, Washington, DC. And, and I'm still, it's funny, I'm still friends with the person who brought me there who actually lived in one of my houses here and and ended up moving to charlottesville and is one of my closest friends was in my wedding um but it's just one of those things it was a massive leadership change he you know he ended up leaving too and I, I you know i was let go and it was what it was but i realized then that you know and, and in my generation you know your parents typically work somewhere for 30 years like right. i was of that you know my age is kind of used to that where you stayed somewhere and but that, that doesn't exist anymore. And I think I was on the front end of that to where, you know, that you could, you know, you could let go, you could be let go at any time. And, you know, I think the average person will have 11 jobs in their career. They'll change their industry three times or something. It, it's, it's amazing. So realizing that I just knew that I would dictate my future. That, that's it. I was going to take it in control. Starting a business to me didn't seem like it was the most impossible thing. It was like, okay, it's just, I just need to take my focus from making this company I'm working for, you know, making them successful, which I thought I was doing a very good job at. And I need to focus in on something that I, for me. So it was just changing the focus. So you have a podcast called the 10 minute entrepreneur. 
and you have 20 companies. You talk about the different successes you've had and experiences you've had. What would you say are the top, say, one to three attributes that, that will help somebody be successful as an entrepreneur? Uh, number one is, is that you have the ability to focus on one thing for a sustained period of time. I think the problem is everybody, you know, ideas are like armpits. In most cases, <laughs> everybody's got one. And, and I meet people all the time. I got a great idea. Listen, ideas don't, don't, ideas don't impress me. I have ideas all day long. They all sound great inside my head. But entrepreneurs do probably two, two, two things in, re, in, in, in regards to focus. They identify the one idea that has the highest payoff, and then they, they stay on that like a dog on a bone. Mm-hmm. So, that, that, you know, so that's the one thing that entrepreneurs do re- really, really well. Second is, is that they have extraordinary energy towards what they're focusing on. So once they focus on something, you know, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, you know, Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, one thing they all have in common, they all lived in their office, worked 100 hours a week when they got mm-hmm. started. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's that tremendous, you know, and Warren Buffett says one of the three qualities he likes the most in a person is energy. Mm-hmm. No substitute for energy. So you have to have that, like that just hardworking, relentless work ethic in the beginning. I don't think it lasts forever. Let me be clear. I'm not into that. You know, if you're in your fifties and you're working over hundred hours a week, I hope you're doing hundred hours a week of something you absolutely love because it does change. The journey changes a little bit. I always say it's kind of like a roller coaster ride. The front end is just pure straight up work. And then you get to go into all the hills and the loops and all the fun stuff. If you do nice. that first, first part of it. So, you know, that, that hardworking energy relentlessly, you know, going towards what, what you're after. And then, you know, I think you're, your ability to surround your, the ability to recruit, the ability to identify, recruit and retain talent. There you go. That's, mm. I always say that, that's my superpower. Mm. The one thing that I think I do at an extraordinary level, because I'm involved <clears> in a lot of different things and there are only so many hours in a day and I've already worked out this morning and, and I, you know, so I have a, I have a pretty nice schedule is the ability to know, know what you don't know and know who's the one person that could have the most dramatic effect in your startup like sales okay there's no very there's like when you start a company there's very few positions more important than whoever's going to be selling your product service whoever's involved in that loop is really going to dictate your probable survival over the first two years so the people that take the easy way out to hire their friends or family or somebody like that in such a critical position like that well great entrepreneurs you know watch the mark zuckerberg story whether he was right or wrong you know, he, he, he kept who he thought would get him to the goal line and everybody else he was a mercenary with. I'm not saying that's how you do it, but, but there is some truth to the fact that your ability to sa- surround yourself with extraordinary talent entrepreneurs have. So real quickly on that, man, we stay focused on the one thing that'll move the ball the furthest is, is huge. Number two is relentlessly working at that single objective. And number three is bringing a team around you that can get you there faster or further. That's so, my recipe. I love it. I love it. Let's unpack that a little bit because I think that a lot of entrepreneurs take the hiring for granted. They hire fast, they fire slow, which it should be the opposite. We all Absolutely. know that. Um, what do you use? Do you use assessments to evaluate people in that process? I know that we have a very exhaustive process in my companies yeah. that we take a lot of time and I've, I've had to learn how to slow that yeah. down quite honestly, Sean, because... I used to hire, you know, 
the person who, you know, my neighbor's son, just because yeah. I felt sorry for him. Yeah. But I learned that, that that's such a, the worst recipe. So what are some of the things you do to evaluate? Yeah, you know, I, I'd like to say I do great assessments. Maybe one day I'll do personality tests if I ever need to. Um, I, I, the only thing I want to find out is if they're crazy. If I can, you know, if I, if I did, I always, I have a very good crazy detector, okay. um, you know, but with, with that being said, when it comes to hiring, I, I'll give you like one rule that I have found. And if you just okay. do this one thing, it'll improve your hiring. Eliminate sevens. See, we interview and people all the time. Sevens don't exist in hiring. They're either an eight or a six, realistically. The problem okay. is we hire sevens all day long. Mm. And I would interview my partner. I'd say, well, what did you think of that person? You know, they had an interview and I sign off on the full hire, but I'll go, what'd you think? Ah, oh, no, pretty solid. You know, you know what? I go, give me a number. Eh, seven. I said, we don't hire sevens. So realistically, they're either a six, which means they're average and you're hoping they're going to be helpful or you know they're going to be helpful. So you can't just fall in the middle. So when you take the seven out of the hiring, you got to put them in either a six. We don't hire sixes, mm -hmm. but we'll, we'll hire an eight. So I, I think that you got to set, I want to hire superstars and I'd rather wait to get that person. We all have certain hires that, you know, they open the doors. You, you know, we always have hires that, you know, we want to say culture, everybody's significant. We all know that, yeah, that's fine. It just means they don't yell at customers and piss you off. <laughs> okay. And they show up every day. I mean, you have people that that's as high as the bar is and that's okay. But people that are going to move the needle, interact with customers and clients. And, 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 you know, these are the type of hires that really move the ball down the field. In those cases, you, you, you've got to have some type of process that you create, whatever it is, whether it's an assessment to me, I just ask painful questions and I let them know. Example, if I'm hiring a person for job a, I will look that person if I say, you know, Susan, listen, obviously what we're looking for is A, B, C, and D. Let me give you a great illustration for this. If I'm trying to hire Santa Claus to work at my mall this winter, my interview process would be like, I want an extremely heavy person who has a real white beard, not a fake one, who loves wearing red velvet and their pet is a <laughs> reindeer. Those, I don't make somebody into Santa. I am looking for Santa. Right. And I'm going to tell you everything I want. And I think that we don't do that in the interview. So I tell them, I say, listen, I would love to have you here for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And if you can do A, B, C, and D, you will be on this team. But if you take this job and you can't do A, B, C, and D, trust me when I tell you, you will be found out and you will be let go. Yeah, very good. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Just don't try to make them into something they're not. And that's yeah. so much wishful thinking goes on in the hiring process. And people pull out. The nice thing is when I do that, and they can tell by my personality, my body language, I'm not playing. Right. They'll pull out. You know, probably I may not, you know, whatever. You know, I'm probably not as strong in this one area that you seem to really want. And the people that, I, that do come on are either a superstar or they think they're better than they are. And I just bring them in three, you know, a month later and go, listen, I brought you on because you do A, B, and C. I'm finding out A and B is a struggle for you. Now I'm going to give you another 30 days to improve that. But if not, we're going to probably have to let you go 30 days from now. Because I was so upfront and my yeah. partners are so upfront in what we expected of you and we created measurables and, you know, we, we definitely told you where the bar is. Well, when you don't hit it, it's very effortless for us to let you go. Right. It's a little bit of disqualification rather than wishful thinking. I go for the no. 
I find the reason why I'm not going to hire you. Yeah. Let them fight for it. I love it. Yeah. That's great. Let's talk about, um, you know, this story you have around uh, being addicted to drugs and and yeah, let's frame that a little differently. <laughs> I mean, the illusion of being addicted to drugs. I mean, I, tell, tell us what that is, because I'm yeah. even fascinated. Yeah, so it, it's pain medication. Okay, so yeah, everything that killed like everybody I was addicted to, like fentanyl <laughs> and all that. But I didn't know it. Ten years ago, I woke up, you know, again, I, I, I'm, an, I'm very athletic, lift weights and all. I woke up one day with back pain, literally just woke up with back pain. Right. So the first thing you do is you go to a chiropractor, right? Yes. And he adjusts it and, you know, you feel good for about six more hours, but then you wake up the next day and it hurts again. So I started on that journey of finding out what in the world's going on. And, you know, the first thing they do is, you know, inject you with like a, a cortisone in your back and see if that works. And, they, and that doesn't work. Then they kind of start you with oxycodone. That's a nice little tic-tac for the problem. So you start with maybe, you know, you're taking one oxy twice a day. Okay. Well, again, I, I'm not a medical professional. I, I'm an upstanding person in my community. I have TV commercials. Most people would tell you they probably know who I am. So it, this is why I'm saying it could happen to anybody. Okay. Because they weren't dealing with, they were dealing with somebody who's obviously educated and, and yeah. somewhat knowledgeable. So it, it can happen to anybody. But about three years into it, after trying all these various injections, nothing really worked. And they didn't really know if surgery would help because they really couldn't figure out the problem. I was up, they were giving me 20 oxycodines a day. So I was taking five, ox, five oxys four times a day, okay? So I try to start later in the morning so I can get the biggest rush of them. So I'm on 20 oxys. So I, I, they finally say, we're gonna give you back surgery. And um, because then I, I, I'm sorry, right before back surgery, I was taking fentanyl too. So I was taking 20 oxys. And then I was taking a 50 milligram fentanyl every three days. Okay, I'm 140 pounds, 145 pounds. That, that's like what you would give an elephant. And normally you don't give fentanyl unless you're on cancer. As a general rule, fentanyl is for the far end of the, of the problem. But they were just trying to kill the pain. Maybe, you know, whatever way they could, they were trying to kill it. What happens is your body gets so, your body gives up fighting pain when you're on that much pain medication. So you're actually in more pain. Right. Um, so I, I have, a, a, you know, a little simple back surgery where they cut in, look at it, can't really find a ton of things wrong, but when they get out, I'm still in pain. So I quit oxys then. Cause I was like, okay, just cold Turkey. When I got out of surgery, I'm like, I got to pick a fight here. Like I, I th this is not a good route. So I quit oxycodines, cold Turkey and asked to be put on a lesser drug. Cause I know that, you know, no matter what, I've got to get some type of control in this thing. So I, I ended up taking tramadol, which is like bare medicine compared to oxys and dosage much lower. But then they started increasing my fentanyl. So they kind of played the trick on the other side. So then I was on a 75 milligrams of fentanyl every 48 hours. I lost 30 pounds. Literally, I ended up being lighter than my teenage son. I would literally go to my doctor and I'd carry a weight inside my sweatshirt because of the alarming weight loss, you know? And, and, and my wife kind of looked at me like something's wrong. My mother even went there and asked if we were hiding the fact that I had cancer. So I realized that there's, we definitely have a, a problem here, okay? And my, my pain doctor gets arrested, about time, right? <laughs> so he, <laughs> he gets arrested, so I need to go to other pain people to get re-prescribed. I mean, I'm a, I'm a full-bone crackhead at this point. I mean, fentanyl is heroin. It is equal, Google it. 
Google the hardest drug to quit. It'll say heroin and fentanyl side by side. So I would go see doctors. You know, I'm, you, I'm at the University of Virginia, so a very reputable place around here to, to get medical advice. And people knew I was. They're like, Sean, man, you, I can't prescribe this to you. I don't know why you were ever prescribed this in the first place. So I literally had three doctors tell me one after another that you need to go into rehab, check yourself in because nobody's going to prescribe this. It was during like the 2016 election when everything was fentanyl related. You remember that was a very big topic, opioids. So it yeah. was like the perfect storm of nobody going to prescribe this. So I remember uh, that was in June, 2016 and, um, they were 2017. They weren't going to prescribe it. And I was going to have to go into rehab. I had one box of fentanyl left. They come in little boxes. And my, my, my family doctor gave it to me, he prescribed me one box. He said, you got to decide what you're going to do. He said, I'll, you know, you've been my patient for 20 years. At this point, you've been on it so long. One box, you know, is not going to kill you, but you need to basically decide, you know, are you going to go into rehab or whatever the case may be? And um, that was on a Friday of that day. I, my buddies from college met me in North Carolina the next day with my family. And I put myself in self-imposed rehab. It was just like, like they were going to stay up all night with me. Hardest part when you're coming off drugs is you can't sleep. Right. You know, you're juiced up. It's like 105 degrees out at the beach and you're like 20 degrees ice cold sweats and you know, but needless to say, I, I Googled, you know, what was the days? Like if you could get to day five, like day five was you're coming, you're at the top of the hill. If I, so I was like, okay, I went back to the wrestling mentality, like sucking weight. That's kind of how I viewed it. I, I, I did sucked weight before, so I knew I could do it, but it was hell. Don't get me wrong. And, but I did it. So eight days later, you know, I'm there with my closest people that I'm closest to, and I had not taken any fentanyl. I still have that box of fentanyl. I keep it in my safe um, just to remind me that I did it. And, you know, so th yeah, three years later, three years, two months later, I don't take anything. And so, yeah, that's that wake up your drug addict. Wow. So how does, um, like, was the pain so bad? Was it a herniated disc or something that, that just drove you there? Constant throbbing pain in my back. Just always, just always something there. Just, it'd be like having somebody walking behind you, poking you with a stick in one, mm -hmm. you know, in a spot. So it was just very, How very did you weird. get rid of it? You know, I still have about 50% of the pain to this day, but I realized being a drug addict is a worse pain. Yeah. So the pain's never gone away. I've just gotten better at managing it, managing stress. I realized stress right. was definitely a major, um, you know, you know, definitely accelerated it and, and just did some other things. But I realized that, you know, again, being a drug addict is going to kill you. Pain probably won't kill me. It just, I can't, you know, I've just got to yeah. manage my day a little differently sometimes. Well, I think we're all addicts, which is different things, right? Yeah. We just have different ways. Some, a lot of people are addicted to food. Some are addicted to gossip. Some people are addicted to work. Um, some to sugar. Sugar is yeah. a big one, right? It's, yeah. it's so insidious. It's everywhere that like just get a Coke or any pop or any drink. It's so laced with sugar. But um, the real addiction we have is to avoid pain. The human spirit wants to avoid pain. Oh, and yeah. so that requires change. Right. And then, so media and I, I'm just fascinated with this doctor who got arrested. Like 
what was in it for him? Does, do, do they do they get a kickback on the amount of drugs that they? I, I think they have to. Yeah, there has to be some kickback of of you right. know you're selling this much. I don't know how the whole thing worked out, but right. but yeah, clearly there has to be an incentive. Plus, they have a patient, so yeah. you know he he basically did like eleven injections on me. You know where they put you under. You know for the you know it's temporary type of thing, but you know it's probably a four thousand dollar hit on my insurance company. Right. So, you know, they, you basically got a captured client. You're addicted to them. So everything they propose, you take, because if you don't, you might lose the pain medication. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a, a beast, this system we have, that it's so hard to break it down and change it. Let's talk a little bit about the 20 companies you have. What are you passionate about? And, and how does somebody become capable of creating that much value in the world. Yeah. Key is I've started 20 companies. I basically oper own and operate nine at this present point. So okay. I just want to kind of get that in that, mm -hmm. but over 25 years. Yes. I, I mean, the thing is, is that service companies are my niche. So I always believe if you, if you, you know, everybody's always looking for this like huge idea to start a business. I, I've yet to have a huge idea. I personally experience a problem that I notice that I, yes. I see a need, a want, or a problem. I identify I have it. Let me see if there's other people that have it. Mm -hmm. If it's a big enough market, then I create it into a business. I've done that, you know, you know, multiple times. And now once you find your niche, like if you ever watch Shark Tank, each one of them have a niche. Lori's right. got QVC. Um, Draymond John's got, you know, clothing, branding, yeah. you know, the, on both sides, Mark and um, Hershevik, they like tech. Right. Um, Kevin O'Leary likes to do kind of uh, um, residual deals. You know, mm -hmm. he likes, uh, I forgot, residuals and he likes, um, I'm trying to think of the thing that he really he likes, likes anything that makes a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. He, he likes, <laughs> he'll loan the money and get it back. But, you know, his right. buying into a company is rare. He's typically doing more of a VC with a fixed rate of return or something like that. Whatever the case may be, once you find your lane, you stay in your lane. That's the biggest mistake I find entrepreneur, veteran entrepreneurs make. And that's the ones that lose a ton of money in their 50s and 60s. Yes. Just because you're a big you know, you're a good entrepreneur, a good business guy, doesn't mean you're bulletproof. Like I get offers, you know, quite a bit. I would never start a restaurant I, prior to COVID. If you gave me a restaurant, I'd give it back. I don't understand right. it. Right. It has too high a turnover. It's too labor intensive. There, there's a lot of things about it I just don't like. Now, some people say, well, Sean, your business is in the, you know, I love home services. Some people say, wow, that's got to be a hard person to hire. Not for me. I found it to be easy. And I, I understand it really well. Like houses have to be fixed, repaired, or remodeled. A robot cannot do that. Amazon cannot do that. So I have extremely durable companies that have done well, even through the virus. I own digital marketing company. Well, small businesses need to grow. Most small business owners don't understand the internet and digital marketing in general. They would love to work hand in hand with somebody local that would explain it and manage it for them. They don't want to work with somebody who's out in California, who's sending them an email report every month. I know I didn't see, I, I experienced that. I owned all these home service companies was doing really well. Then the internet comes on and I start seeing new companies using the internet more than I was. And I'm like, man, I'm, I must be losing business to people that whatever. So I, I bring on, Kind of how it happened how you can own a lot of companies how it happened this is a perfect example so four years ago i 
get pitched by the radio station. I buy Super Bowl ads regionally. I mean, I do a lot of advertising for my home service companies. So the radio stations all want to pitch me on digital ads because they're all starting to add digital to their portfolio to stay relevant because obviously radio is becoming a little less traditional, of course. So they come to my conference room. There's a, you know four or five of them. They're pitching me. But nobody's explaining it in a way that I can't that I can even understand. And I feel like I'm a halfway bright guy. But I'm like, if you can't explain something simple enough for a 12 year old to understand or to mediate, you're talking over people's head. You know, whether you mm-hmm. like Trump or don't like him, if you look mm-hmm. at how he communicates, he's crazy like a fox. Yeah, big, simple, huge. Is people can understand that. Yeah, great. People can understand that. Yeah. So with that being said. <laughs> um, so I, I'm in this meeting and there's one person in that meeting that I thought was the smartest person in the room was the quietest. And, and I, I kept listening to him. So at the end of the meeting, I took all their cards. Well, they gave me all their cards. I threw everybody's card away, but this person named James is. And the next day I called him. I said, James, listen, I'm going to hire, you know, your radio group to handle my digital marketing, but I'm hiring you. And this is what I want. I'm going to give you this. And, but every month you and I are going to meet in person in my car. And you're going to go over what I did this past month. And you're going to show me how it worked. And I want to be able to understand this because I don't like spending money that doesn't work. And I love spending money that does work. So I'll either be a great client or we won't be clients very long. And I said, and by the way, you're either going to come work for me or we're going to be business partners but it's going to be one of the two. So let's really do a good job on this. And he later told me, he goes, I I either thought you were the the most arrogant SOB, but I was actually starting to believe it because you kind of have that personality where he probably wouldn't say if he didn't believe it. And that was like in like November, December, I have a big company uh, um, Christmas party where everybody comes really nice restaurant, very well done. I invited he and his wife to come. And I did that just to kind of plant him the seed of, Hey, listen, I'm for real. These are other people that have partnered with me in business and you're going to see they're all pretty happy and doing really well, but it was definitely strategic on my part. Handled my campaign super well. So it's around May of that year. I were definitely the phone, you know, we're getting really good quality leads via the internet. So I knew he could back it up. He was meeting with me. I was understanding it. So I said to him in May, Hey, has your family ever been to Disney world? Because he had little kids, and he goes, "No, he goes. Obviously, we're looking forward to one day." I said, "Well, great. I'd like to pay for it. So I'd like to send you guys to Disney World this summer." And he goes, "Well, why would you do that?" I said, "Well, remember what I told you in November. I'm just giving you the down payment." I said, "You're either going to come work for me, or we're going to be partners, and this is my down payment." So I gave him a, what would be considered a substantial amount of money, and he was very grateful. And 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 he went. And then two years later, we started a digital marketing company. And uh, it's done extraordinary. We're 18 months into it. We're growing like crazy. And my son actually served as a, an intern in it as a senior in high school. So we're making really good money. But that, that's just an example. I see talent before somebody may even see it in themselves. Mm-hmm. I recruit it in a partnership and or to join my company in some fashion. And I retain it because I tell yeah. people if they're good, they, you know, I, I, I pay people well and and, uh, and let them know if they're valuable. And you nurture the relationship. And I, I believe I read somewhere recently is that most people are never really taught or, or told how great they are. Yeah. 
And when somebody sees that in them and says, hey, you know, I see that in you, I value that in you, and the person's kind of like, okay. And when you nurture that, then that person is, is given permission to excel, their light to shine, for them to be great. We're so taught to play down uh, who we it, are. It's, it's funny. I did a podcast, and I'm going to turn it into a book, but it's basically, there's a great book by, um, uh, which McCall, uh, Kauf, uh, what's his name? Oh my God, Stephen Chapman. Uh, I, I, there's a book called Five Love Languages, The Last yeah. Last Chat. Okay, incredible book. Okay, marriage, great book yes. called The Five Love Languages. And I came up with nine languages, nine love languages for the if you run a company. Okay. In other words, I found that most people don't work for you for money. That's love language one. Love language two is like security. Love language two is like they want flexibility. Love language four is like they want to have a seat at the table. In other words, if you want me to run this, bring this vision, you want me to create this goal, I want to be, in, I want to be a part of putting together the strategy. I want a seat at the table. Some people want ownership. And you, when you see those people, you better bring them on because they're going to be your competitor if you're not. Right. Okay. There's a variety. There's like nine of them. One of them is people like to be told they did a great job. It's called that a boy. You did great. People like to be appreciated. Okay. Some people are there for culture. That's like the Nordstrom culture, the Zappa. They want to be a part of that team, that atmosphere. Some people want to be a part of a movement. You know, the Tom's idea, you know, that's a great idea what they did. And, right. and the one where they take water bottles and they make the bracelets for the ocean. Some people are big. I'm, I'm going from memory, but I think I just threw yeah. nine of them out. But yeah. the point is, is that everybody works for you for one of those reasons. One of those will attract them more than any other reason. And my point was money is only one. So you've got to find that, that one that works. My example is I had an employee, this was funny, this just happened like three months ago. And I pay this person really, really well. This is a home service company. So picture, you know, if Superman was in construction, this is the person. But you're talking a rough dude, you know what I'm saying? Um, definitely a construction worker. We're just going to say that. Well, I, I will go out to see one of his jobs because about once a week, I'll spend about a half hour on job sites. And I went to his and we were, I was coming at him, I was getting in my car. And he was in his van and I just said to him, I said, I, hey, I just want you to know, I so appreciate that you work for us. You are so unbelievably talented. I, got, I just want you to know, I am, every time I see your work, I am, I'm in awe of how talented you are. He put his head down and tears started coming down. My point is you don't know in people's world who's telling them they're great. They might have a wife that never says anything positive or a husband that never says anything. They never heard it growing up. You would be shocked. And I, this person's so talented. And I pay them well, but I'm sure they get a job offer every month. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm telling you that that's one of his languages. Now, I, I, I kind of know. I didn't know it was to that degree, but I know yes. it's, that's one of them that works very, very well with him. So all your employees have a, have, have, you know, a gong that you got to hit. Yes. And, and you got to figure out what that is. And the sooner you do it'll really allow you to get the most out of them. Well, it sounds like you've figured it out, not just consciously, but maybe even intuitively, which is really cool. You're the best-selling author of The Greatest Entrepreneur in the World and The Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success. You've got a podcast. You have nine successful businesses. You're an athlete. You've overcome, you know, an addiction. Um, what's next? Where do you go from here? 
you know, I, what I love doing, I wake up every day and I, I'm, I'm big on singular focus. So I have kind of mm -hmm. like very simple things I try to accomplish in a day is, uh, you know, when it comes to writing and podcasts and all that, I'm, I'm generally, I don't need the money because my businesses do well. So you don't see me pawning stuff off and pitching stuff. <laughs> I try to equip, encourage and educate entrepreneurs. That's it. That's my soul. Like if somebody said to me, what's the one thing you're trying to accomplish in your book? What's the one thing in your podcast? What's the one thing when you're a guest? I, I want to equip, I want to encourage, I want to educate entrepreneurs. I speak at colleges. And then in business, I want to make money. So every part of my day involves making money and I have no apologies for it. Money is not everything, but it's in the top five. Yeah. And it's allowed me to do things that I'm very, you know, that I'm happy to be involved in, whether it's generosity and taking care of family, it's just not a sure. bad thing to have. So every day I want to make money and then I want to, I want to take care of myself and, you know, seek relationships and keep them healthy and, so I, I'm, I'm pretty very focused on the things that, that move the needle. You need to know what moves the needle in your life, but I, I, I'm old enough to know what moves the needle in mine. Yeah, I love it. And it sounds like, you know, even from the days of wrestling, that you're looking for the little things that let you win. You're tweaking, you're looking for the problems, then you're finding a solution, you're attracting the talent, you're building a team, you're adding value. Um, and you want to continually do that for other entrepreneurs. So what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. Obviously, listen to your podcast, yeah. The 10 Minute Entrepreneur. Um, I guess yeah. you're on social media as well. Yeah. yeah, I'm verified on Facebook and Instagram. So you can, you know, reach me on Instagram. The best thing to reach really to be involved in my world where I can help you the most and I give you a free book. If you go to my personal website, seancastrian.com, I just wrote a book. Actually, I just wrapped it up here recently, right before the virus called The, um, the World's Greatest Business Plan that actually works because uh, I wrote it for my son. I wanted to write it in a way that like an 18 year old would understand it. And then I put a bonus chapter in there on how to be a great entrepreneur. I'm like, it's great if you have a good business idea, but if you're lazy and you don't have focus and all the things we talked about today, you're probably going to screw this up anyway. So I kind of like at the very end kind of sandwich <laughs> in, Hey, I love you son, but I really need you to be good at these for all this to work. But I give that book away. It's $18 on Amazon, but it's an, you know, digital version with the template on my website. So if you're, if you're thinking about an idea that you'd like to find out if it's for real and it might work, my business plan will absolutely, you won't make it to, if there's only 25 questions in it. We're not splitting the atom, but it's the one business plan book that actually talks you out of starting a business. For all the rest of the books I read, I have all of them behind me here. Actually, the whole first page of Amazon's right behind me. Um, they all assume your business succeeds. So they actually reverse engineer the book. We're at chapter 15. You have a million dollar company. You're working part-time and everybody's great. My business plan says your business may not work if this isn't working, if this isn't working, if this is, you know, if you don't have a target audience, is your you know, audience big enough? What is your profit margins? Can you, pro I beat the crap out of you in like the first right. seven questions because mm -hmm. I'm just as happy if it doesn't work. So, cause then I saved you money in aggravation. So the, you know, that's a great way if you want to get some free value from me is go to my personal site, seancastrina.com. We got tons of free resources on that and everything on there is free. And then um, 10 Minute Entrepreneur Podcast. I mean, that's where every day I teach 10 minutes. Just I throw out a sliver of steak for 10 minutes or I interview a extremely well-known entrepreneur, somebody very successful, and they answer one big question. What's the one piece of startup advice you would give to someone? That's the one 
thing I give to all my guests and, mm -hmm. and I get some great answers from, from extraordinary people. Yeah. You know what I like about your approach is that it's, it's about elimination. It's about if, if people were to, before they got married, if they were had to ask questions like, you know that 50% of people fail at this, this thing yeah. you're trying. Yeah. And why do you think you're going to succeed? And what have you done in order to make sure that, you know, beyond the usual words that we say to others, 80% of restaurants, most businesses fail. And, and before people started, if they were really asked those tough questions, which it sounds like you kind of are outlining in that yeah. book, um, maybe a few less people would take the leap and then have these, this shrapnel on them afterwards. And they're scarred and they don't want it. They lost twenty, thirty thousand dollars in their first yeah. business deal, their real estate venture, because they went in without that business plan, without that foresight, without really understanding the pitfalls. They go in hopeful, and hope's not a strategy, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. Hope's not a strategy. I've heard something like that before, but I hearing it again, I, I'm writing the I take notes too. Yeah, of course. <laughs> hope's not a strategy. So I love the fact that you have that um, that what I will call a critical mind. And if people can and ride the, the, the wave of your critical mind and see the pitfalls up front and own it and go, yes, I'm willing to venture into that, I think that they would be much better off than going through and wishing that things are gonna be easy. So I really appreciate the fact that you, you do that work and that you serve the community of entrepreneurs that desperately need it because would you agree with me today with COVID and everything that more people are going to be forced to be entrepreneurial problem solvers, even in their job? Oh, I, I think I have two things you're, you're right. You're hitting the drum on two things that I say. Everybody should have an entrepreneurial mindset. Okay. The, just the mindset of looking for ideas and opportunities that present themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and number two is, is that following this COVID or as we evolve through it, let me just say that there's going to be an entrepreneurial surge like never, you know, since the world war two, because we we've seen, we've seen Godzilla. Yeah. We know what it looks like. Now you got to figure out how to create a business that could, that could work with something of this magnitude. So it's just going to, it's just going to force a different business model. Look at Google. They're not, they're never going to work from that campus again. Okay, they have that beautiful game. Yeah. They're never going to need to. So you're going to, one thing that's going to change is commercial real estate. It's going to oh, change. Like, totally. buddy, I would not want to own a high, a 20-story a, a, a building of all um, businesses in it. Because I, I think that model is going to get decimated and redone. Yeah, totally. And people are going to be forced to be innovative. And the changes are going to require flexibility, which most people resist. So it's going to be a very interesting process going forward. But like you said, some people are going to prosper and going to do really well. Obviously, Amazon's uh, leading the pack in a certain area. And even myself, I'm like ordering more from Amazon because, you know, I used to have this belief that I don't want to order shoes on Amazon. What if they don't fit and feel good? Now I realize you can order two pairs and send one back. And, oh, yeah. I'm addicted you know? to Amazon who owns Zappos. I'm addicted to Zappos. Listen to me. If, you, if you're willing to ship it to me overnight for free, and I can yeah. ship it back to you for free. So we can do this whole deal in 48 hours. Yeah. Um, you got me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's my mother who's 83. I bought her four cell phones and she just said, no, 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 now. And she resisted the whole time because society didn't require. She had another way. Call me on the landline. Right. But now 
with Zoom and FaceTime becoming such an, an essential part of life and her being isolated in the house, she's the biggest fan now. She's jumping on videos, yeah. she wants to talk and call. So I think a lot of people like myself that, you know, just had a habit, went to the mall to get my shoes. Now this new pathway is created. I think we're in for very fascinating times with lots of possibilities. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Things, everything changes, and and he who changes survives. He who doesn't adapt dies. Yeah, that's, that's from the beginning of time. And the traditional educator, the professor, the university is now being replaced by people like you and me, people in the field. Oh, yeah. That yeah, have skill, experience yeah, with specialized life. knowledge. Listen yeah. to me. I, I speak at colleges, and I'm gonna. This is why I, I've joked. After this virus, I'm never gonna get asked back again. I have never been to a college yet where I would let that professor teach my son business. Yeah. Not yet. I've never been to one yet where I walked away and I'm like, man, I would trust that person to teach my son how to start and or grow a business. Not one time. Not, I haven't met that person one time. I've met no. some really, really smart people. Don't get me wrong. Smart, understood, you know, some, you know, maybe the accounting portion of it or, you know, some of the numerical things of it, but I'm talking real life. Do I think they could actually start a business, grow a business, evolve, you know, adapt a business to a changing marketplace? There's no way. And, and you, you know, so I, I think specialized knowledge is, is the new educational model. I have a daughter who's a school teacher, so I'm a traditionalist. Okay, my daughter's a school teacher, so I love that. My son's an entrepreneur, and he didn't want to go to college, and we got him mentored. We got him, we got him internships. We've got him you know, individual training with some of the best people we could you know, get in contact with. There's a lot of ways to learn. And you go to college for one reason, to learn how to earn a living. So yeah. we, we overcomplicate college. College is like a babysitting facility that's just really, if you think about it, you, you go to college to, to make a living. That's why when like LeBron James didn't go to college, we didn't like, oh my gosh, he's horrible. He didn't go to college. He's never going to be able to make it in life. No, we knew he'd make a living. We knew when Tiger Woods dropped out of Stanford, he would be okay. You know, it's okay for everybody who's going to make money. So why doesn't that apply to the person who can quit and make forty to $60,000 doing what they want? Why, right. why do they have to go to college? Yeah, make 100%. 100%. Well, it, as, you, as you said, that's going to change radically going forward. And people are going to be learning from people like yourself and I in the field, the street smart millionaires. Um, I mean, I created a mastermind group called M1, Marching People to the Whole Life Millionaire. Created 61 millionaires in the last four years, teaching them the fundamentals of success and then introducing them to people that can give them uh, a lane, whether it's Airbnb or e-commerce or it's running a podcast or a blog. There's so many ways you can make money today, but then introduce you to the person who's doing it in the field. That's, that's the secret. Right, intern with them, hang out with them, pick up their dry cleaning, make them coffee, whatever you need to do, and then do a deal with them or partner with them like you, yeah. you know, bring people in and then grow that business with them, together with them and share and then grow another one and let them run with it. So that's, I think, the future. Oh, there's no doubt. Partnering is, I would say, partnering is, is, is my number one thing I like. If, if that's my you know, secret weapon, it's identifying talent and then partnering with it. Anybody who can, yeah. partnering is just, I, I love partnering in business. Well, Sean, it's been a treat talking with you. I think we could talk for another couple of hours. I'm going to encourage the listeners Thank you. Uh, to listen to your podcast, to get one of your many books and to look for the new books that are coming out. 
And uh, why don't you leave us today with your favorite quote? Hey, my favorite quote actually is the one you just gave me. I'm honestly, man, I'm, ho I'm hooked on that. Hope's not a strategy. I seriously, I, I collect, you know, everybody's got quotes all around, you know, different things, you know, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. But I really like hope's not a strategy. So I'm going to go with that for right now. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us with your passion. And I always love athletes uh, in an interview because they're disciplined, they're focused, and they want to make things better and they're willing to fight for it. So thanks for bringing that part of your personality into the business world so other people can see the value of incremental progress. So we'll see you all in the next podcast. Thank you. Special guest today, Sean Castrina and uh, his many, many outlets are available for you. We'll have them all in the show notes and we'll see you on the next session. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.